the Roy Thorne Solicitors Divorce Podcast with me, your host, Neil Denny. The Divorce Podcast is designed for those who are thinking about or going through divorce or separation. Please note that whenever we talk about marriage or divorce, we're talking about civil partnerships and dissolution of civil partnerships as well. The information that we discuss on this podcast is nothing more than information and cannot be taken as specific legal advice. You can get in touch with us at The Divorce Podcast by using the email address divorcepodcast at roythorns.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Roy Thorns Divorce Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined once again by my colleague, John Boone. Hello, John. Hello, Neil. And we're specifically going to be looking at what happens when separating couples can't agree uh, the arrangements for, for, for the children. Um, so so that's, that's what we're going to be looking at. What, how, how can we as lawyers help you? What are the kind of considerations, the legal considerations that need to be uh, taken into account? At, at the outset, I, I think John and I would probably both agree that this is an area of law where mediation is particularly well suited in, in helping separating parents to uh, discuss these matters. Would you agree? I would, and and the court as well, Neil, subscribes to the view that the best people to make these decisions in relation to children are, are the parents themselves. And so if if the parents, notwithstanding the fact that they've separated and have a perhaps a personal animo- animosity towards one another, if they can work together to agree the future arrangements for their children then all the better. If they need someone else in the room with them in order to achieve that, a professional mediator, as you highlight there, Neil, then then that is preferable to, to embarking on a court process, which we'll, we'll come on to later, mm. but that isn't in, to be entered into lightly. Yes. Uh, and mediators, they're, they're specially trained. Um, they're, they're, they are highly skilled at, uh, I, I sometimes call it you know, refereeing or umpiring the, the discussions that the parents are having between them. I think it's important to make the distinction. It's something we haven't addressed yet on the podcast, but this widely held misperception that mediation is the same as uh, reconciliation. That, you know, if we're going to see a, a mediator, that very often gets confused with couples or relationship counseling and therapy. It's very different. Mediation is all about still. Uh, the separation, but but it's to enable you to to reach agreements in relation to that separation. Absolutely, and and a mediator is there, as you say, Neil, to 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 referee or umpire to to facilitate the discussions. They are not there to advise or to take the side of either party. They are they are strictly neutral. They are there to to support both parties in 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 speaking with each other and trying to agree the way forward. And and what might those areas be? Because if We'll speak about the court process later, but if we were in court, it seems to me that we'd be looking at a few areas which typically fall into dispute. There's this issue of parental responsibility, so we can have a chat about that. There's the issue of which parent will the child live with, uh, if it's to be either of them or if it's to be both of them uh, shared, uh, how much time they will spend with uh, uh, the other parent. Um, we can have a chat about this area called prohibited steps uh, and the, the flip side of that coin. 
specific issues as well. If any of these go to court, what, what is the court's primary consideration going to be? So the court's primary consideration in, in all cases involving children is a child's welfare. That's their paramount consideration. And while the court will look at all of the factors and look at all of the circumstances of the case, at the heart of it, and, and the eyes of the court are, are, are trying to, to look through it, the eyes of the child or the children. And and in looking at the, the children's welfare best interests, uh, they, they they have a couple of uh, presumptions, don't they? If if you like, yes. So the, the, there is this thing called a no order principle, which effectively means the court will only make an order if they believe that making that order, whatever that order may be, will further the child's welfare. In other words, the court will only do something if they think that doing something is better than doing nothing. Uh, and leaving the situation as it is. The the other uh, principle is this, uh, there's a presumption, and this is recorded in, in the Children Act 1989, which is the primary piece of legislation which, which governs these disputes. There's a presumption of parental involvement, uh, which effectively is that the, the involvement of both parents in a child's life is to the benefit of their welfare. Now, the, the precise extent of that involvement will depend, as we said Neil on the, on the circumstances of the case and what's best for the child in question but there's this presumption that both parents should be involved mm. uh, so, so uh, presumption of no order it strikes me that I remember in our previous podcast we were talking about where a couple have an agreement at, at the time of divorce about the finances how important it is to to draw up the consent order so no matter how amicable it is make sure it's in an order make sure it's sealed by the court um, I often find a situation where parents reach an agreement about, well, this is the, you know, this is how we're going to spend time with the children, um, and, and they want a court order at that stage, just kind of putting that agreement in place, making it formal somehow. But but the court isn't going to do that, is it? No, I mean it is possible for a child arrangements order, as it's known now, to to be made by consent, but the the, the court. Uh, are slow to get involved or are reluctant to get involved unless there is a substantive dispute or a substantive safeguarding concern that they feel that needs to be addressed. Yes. And so what tends to happen if, if parents can agree to arrange for the, for, for the children between themselves, what I would encourage them to do is to, is to have that arrangement recorded in writing. It can be as detailed or as, or as loose as, as, as they like, depending on the circumstances. Mm. But it's important that whatever is agreed is, is written down somewhere, just so that both parties and the children all know, know where they stand. And you can you can Google uh, parenting agreements, for example, and th- th- there'll be plenty of resources from CAFCAS and similar organisations uh, such as that. Um, well, I've mentioned CAFCAS. T- tell us a bit about CAFCAS. Who are they? What do they do? So CAFCAS are the Children and Family Courts Advisory and Support Service. Um, and their role, uh, and it's, this is within the context of, of court proceedings involving children, their role is to advise the court and to look at safeguarding the, the child's welfare. So if an application is issued in respect of a child or children, the, the first thing that happens after the court have issued the application and set a date for the first hearing, CAFCAS will perform what are known as safeguarding checks. They will speak to each of the parties involved in order to get an overview of what the dispute is about, what is what is it that brought them to this, this point. They will also 
check whether either of the parties or the children have had any involvement with social services or the police. And so they all then produce, in the run-up to that first hearing, a safeguarding letter, which will summarise the outcome of those preliminary inquiries. And at the end, CAFCAS will then state whether they feel that their further involvement is required, do they think it would be of benefit for them to do a more detailed report, for example, uh, ascertaining what the, what the child or children's uh, wishes and feelings are in relation to who they may live or spend time with. Do they think any further safeguarding checks are needed? Do they feel that if something's come up on a police check, whether some further information is needed, if there are very serious allegations made, whether those need to be further investigated, uh, such as by way of a fact-finding hearing, uh, they may recommend that they, and this happens quite often, uh, that the parties attend a separated parent information program, mm-hmm. which is a course that they can both attend and is funded by the state uh, to help equip them for for dealing with their their former partner or former spouse uh, in relation to their children. And CAFCAS may also give a preliminary recommendation as to what arrangements ought to be in place between that stage and and any further hearing. CAFCAS may also suggest or recommend that this is a, a dispute that shouldn't be dealt with by the court. The dispute is between the parents and that they should attend mediation to try and resolve those issues. They'll make those recommendations if there are no other safeguarding concerns or, or welfare issues. So CAFCAS play quite an important role at that initial stage of, of sort of determining sort of the nature of the dispute and how it needs to to be progressed in order for it to be finally determined. So let's let's just back up a bit there because we were talking about uh, CAFCAS um, and, and their involvement once an application is made to the court. Before the application can be made to the court, uh, the person who is uh, making the application uh, certainly ought to have attended what's called a mediation information and assessment meeting and that will be a one-to-one meeting between you and a local mediator uh, and the, the the thrust there it's a rather political thrust but I think it's got a good intention behind it is to uh, make sure that the court is the the last resort and, and not the first and at that Miami it will be you and the uh, mediator and the mediator will just explain how the mediation process can play that particularly valuable role in sorting out uh, disputes around children when it comes to divorce and separation uh, the the mediator will ask you if you if you are inclined if you think mediation could work uh, there, there may be reasons I'm, I'm thinking abuse and um, uh, domestic violence co- controlling coercive behavior uh, where, where it might be clear that uh, mediation isn't appropriate or where even in my am uh, the that uh, first information meeting can be dispensed with. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about uh, uh, violence and abuse in, in a separate podcast. So if if mediation isn't going to work, it's been identified at that mediation information and assessment meeting, or even if you've started mediation but it's then broken down, uh, you are then uh, able to make your application to court um, for, for one of those orders that, that we mentioned, parental responsibility, uh, which parent shall uh, the child or children live with, what time shall they spend with the other parent, prohibited steps and specific issues. John, can you tell us a bit about parental responsibility? I think it's one of those phrases that we hear bandied around quite regularly um, and sometimes people aren't 
always quite sure what it means. Absolutely. So parental responsibility, in short, is a bundle of, of rights and duties and responsibilities that by law a parent of a child has in relation to the child and their property. Um, and effectively that's the decision-making powers that a parent has on behalf of a, of a minor child of the family. As the child gets older, they will acquire some of those decision-making powers themselves and, and so their wish and feelings are going to become more important as, as, as they get older. And so parental responsibility is is acquired automatically by the mother and can be acquired by the father if they are automatically again if they're married to the, the child's mother at the time of their birth um, if they are named on the birth certificate and the child is born after I believe the 1st of December 2003 mm -hmm. um, and it can also be acquired by later uh, agreement or, or, or order uh, and, and so usually we're in a situation where two people have that decision making powers and responsibilities and so if that couple separate or aren't together there is naturally that potential for a disagreement over those decisions and that's where the the the, the lawyers and the, and the court process comes in if, if those parents can't agree on, on what is best for the child mm. uh, and and i mean typically it's, it's unmarried couples isn't it where um where, where the father may find himself even falling out the first hurdle because he hasn't got parental responsibility perhaps for whatever reason his name hasn't been inserted on on, on the birth certificate the, the couple didn't think about it they, they they separated during the course of the pregnancy or, or whatever the reason may be uh, and the father then wants to uh, hold out for and apply for parental responsibility in my experience I, I can't think of an application I've dealt with where parental responsibility has has not being granted. I can't even think of a case where, when an application that I've made to the court, where it's ever seriously been in dispute, other than a, a rather grudging um, refusal on the part of a, a, a mother. Oh, absolutely, and and it's important to distinguish between parental responsibility and and the other issues that we've covered. Uh, the, the arrangement for the child that lives with to spends time with the fact that you have PR doesn't create a presumption that uh, uh, as to what should happen in terms of, of, of those arrangements for the child I, PR I, I is important in terms of having that ability to, to, to make decisions consent to, to medical treatment and consent being required for foreign travel change of name and so forth but it's a separate issue mm. to, 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 to the long-term arrangements for the and child. I think mothers can sometimes worry that if they agree to a request for parental responsibility that, that they're giving away power uh, to uh, this, this, this now separated and estranged father. But the reality is the father could still make his applications anyway. It's just that he would have to jump through a, a separate hurdle b before doing so. He would have to specifically ask for leave, which isn't, I can't imagine, ever going to be particularly problematic in, in the vast majority of cases. Um, so so if, 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 you, if you find yourself in a situation where there's a request for parental responsibility, in my experience, there's often very little point in trying to resist that. Um, so so I, I think you would need to take careful advice if, if, if that's the, the strategy uh, that, that you wanted to pursue. So um, the, the court can order Section 8 
Children Act, uh, th th this range of which uh, parent shall the child live with and, and spending time. How does a court go about making those decisions if the parents themselves can't make that decision? Well, to, to, to a large extent, the court will uh, be assisted and guided by, by CAFCAS. And so if there is a substantive dispute between the parties as to the, the future living arrangements for, for, for the child or children, then typically CAFCAS would be asked to produce a detailed report uh, which they would speak uh, and meet with the parties of dispute uh, and if it's appropriate to do so, the children. Um, and their, the children's wishes and feelings would also be recorded. The extent to which the court would take those wishes and feelings into account will depend upon the, those children's age and, and, and level mm. of understanding. And it's important to emphasise that, again, the court looking at it on the, on the facts of the case, you could have a very mature 12-year-old and a very immature 14-year-old, and the, the court will look at the, the particular child that, that, that they're dealing with. Uh, and so CAFCAS will produce this 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 Section 7 report, as it's known, and they will put forward some recommendations based on what they feel will be uh, for the benefit of, of, of the child or children. That, that report does not bind the court. The court ultimately will make the decision. Mm. And if they are being asked to, to take the decision out of the party's hands and make it themselves, they'll do so only at a final hearing usually that will be the third hearing it may be there's it been more be even more yes uh, preliminary hearings than that uh, the court will hear evidence from from both parties they'll have considered the written evidence that the parties have put forward uh, and the court will have the recommendations of CAFCAS as well and then ultimately the court then has to, to make a decision based on what they, they feel is, is is best for the children but that that is a very difficult concept for 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 me to 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 articulate to, to to parents that are arguing with each other that that this decision will be taken out of their hands if they allow the dispute to get to that that stage yes then and, and so the more specific issues of prohibited steps and specific issue where 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 might we see those legal concepts coming into play so prohibited steps uh, usually those situations arise where one parent has has communicated to another that they wish to make a, a particular decision in relation to a child. They may wish to, to move away with the child, either within the, the, the jurisdiction of, of, of England and Wales or, or outside the jurisdiction to another country. They may wish to change the, the, the child's school. The parties can't agree on, 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 on what school. They may... Uh, wish uh, to to for the child to undergo a certain medical treatment that the other parent disagrees as to whether it's necessary or not. And if that other parent is concerned that notwithstanding the fact they've communicated that they disagree with this decision, if they're concerned that that parent is going to go ahead with that decision anyway, then they can apply to the court to get an order mm. stopping that parent from exercising their parental responsibility in respect of that particular issue a so-called prohibited steps order. So, so that specific step that parent is prohibited from taking that specific step which isn't agreed between the parties absolutely and then the flip side of that specific issue so specific issue order it is the flip side as you say neil so that, that this is really the the other side of it if, if, if a parent 
has a particular school they want to go the, the child to go to the other parent uh, has a differing view uh, and and the, the parties can't agree they can make a standalone application to the court to deal with that particular dispute hmm. uh, and, and the same is true of, of a change of surname which is it can often be a, a hotly uh, contested topic in the event of relationship breakdown um, and uh, in relation again to, to, to things like medical treatment or specific decisions which arise or uh, whether now or in the future for a child they can make a standalone application for the court to determine that matter if they can't agree to position with the other parents. John, thank you. You've taken us through those Section 8 applications and parental responsibility. That, that's a great help. The, the only thought that uh, springs to mind for me as we're uh, recording this is, is the fact that uh, grandparents, um, they, they, they could also make applications um, for, for orders. Typically with grandparents, I think the orders, the applications that we see are uh, applications to court for orders that the, they get to spend time with the children. Uh, or, or vice versa. Yes, absolutely. And and grandparents and wider family members, there's a distinction. There's no presumption, um, even though grandparents and wider family members play a very active role quite often in a, in a child's upbringing. There's no presumption that their involvement in that child's life is, is for the benefit of their welfare. There's no presumption of grandparental involvement, for example. Uh, the other issue that grandparents and wider family members uh, encounter is this permission stage that you touched on earlier, mm-hmm. Neil. Parents, people with parental responsibility have an automatic right to, to bring an application under the Children Act for, for a Section 8 order. Grandparents and wider family members need the permission of the court to do so. So there is a preliminary hurdle in which the court at that early stage has to decide whether that is uh, a dispute that warrants further investigation by the court. So it's just something to, to, to bear in mind. Uh, but it is an unfortunate byproduct of a of relationship breakdown that the grandparents, uh, as a result, uh, end up spending less time or no time with their grandchild because through no fault of their own, there's been a relationship breakdown between their their child and and, 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 and their partner or spouse. Yes, yes. John, thank you very much. Uh, we haven't, uh, we decidedly haven't uh, spoken about those uh, more entrenched cases, uh, implacable or intractable hostilities, sometimes uh, called parental alienation cases. Um, but rest assured that we will be uh, uh, coming on to that specific topic in a future podcast episode. So John, uh, for today, thank you very much once again for joining me on the Roy Thorns podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. See you soon. This has been the Roy Thorns Divorce Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If we've raised any issues that you have any questions on, or if you have any comments, then please get in touch using the email address divorcepodcast at roythorns.co.uk. If this podcast has been helpful, please be sure to share it with your friends and your family. And if you could leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you're listening on, then that would be a fantastic help for us as well. We look forward to joining you on a future show. Thank you.